comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to The Black Box. You've heard these gentlemen on previous podcasts before where we talk about hip hop. We've talked about some of our favorite artists, some of our favorite songs. Uh, we've had we've really had some like hip hop education um, over the past few months. These two gentlemen on the call right now, really great people, uh, very talented individuals. The first gentleman is pretty much an honorary member of the Black Box podcast. He's kind of like the Jerobi of the Black Box Podcast, a very talented individual. He's an artist, he is a scholar, uh, he is a man of many talents. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the creator of the hit webcomic Ants, Mr. Julian Lido. Julian, how you doing? Oh man, I'm doing great this morning. What's up, what's up, what's up people? Talking about this hip hop again. Again, because we have to educate the masses. Also, on the line right now is a gentleman that has also been on the podcast before. You may know him as the incredible tribe one, he is an animated gangster, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Niles Gray. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to be back. Thank you for having us. Oh, no, you, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm always glad to have y'all back on the show. Is you know, especially to talk like with, talk about the subjects we're going to talk about today. Um, we are going to go all in on a documentary that I have personally waited too long to watch um some of it's just for like you know personal reasons because like i didn't want to see or like feel like like the tension or beef uh between certain people certain people in the documentary uh the film that i'm talking about is um beats rhymes in life the travels of a tribe called quest um it's a documentary uh directed by michael rapaport and it came out a couple years ago um it used to be available on Netflix Instant Streaming. Now you can just uh, uh, rent, rent the DVD from them, but you can also find it on Blu-ray, DVD, uh, possibly at your local shop or, or online. Or you can get it via instant um, video from Amazon. And what this does is this movie, this documentary, talks about the last time Tribe Called Quest uh, toured together during the Rock the Bells tour and how things fell apart. And it also talks about the history of Tribe Called Quest, the differences between the members of Tribe Called Quest, and also, no no matter what, no matter what happens from like 2008 to 2000 to I think the documentary ends like in 2010. Um, no matter what happens, they're still a family, and they can still come together when need be. But um, it's a very emotional documentary, and I'm trying to find the proper words to really get this started. Um, as a matter of fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip it over to Niles, a.k.a. Tribe One, and I'm going to get his opinion on the uh, on the documentary first. Man, first of all, I didn't expect to feel as many feelings as I did when I watched it. Just like watching them try to come together for the Rock the Bells tour and then just how completely and methodically they fell apart during that thing it was just it was almost too much for me to watch like it got a little too intimate you know yeah and um the other like there were 
several things that really struck me about the documentary, but the other thing that struck me the most was like finding out just how many of those native tongue dudes all went to the same high school. That was, it was pretty crazy. Cray cray. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that like the Jungle Brothers were, were like in the same school with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's like, and that's still to this day to me, depending on where you're at, the Jungle Brothers are kind of like one of the unsung, un, unsung, unsung groups of hip hop that very few people talk about outside of the Buddy video. Yeah. Oh, man. Also, seeing Q-Tip's production methods, just like seeing him at work was like as as somebody who's like a lover of hip hop and like seeing seeing him make these songs that I know was it was, it was pretty special. I enjoyed that. What about you, Julian? Um, what are your opinions on it? Oh, man. I remember when that joint came out, like I saw it at a screening first and like the screening was just like. It was like a, it was like being it's like a time warp for like a whole certain generation of people to sit down. I was like watching like it was like everybody watching like '90s MTV again or something, mm-hmm. and recollecting your past. Like when you like you remember when Benil Applebaum pot came out. You remember when Scenario dropped. You remember when Low End Theory came out. You remember freaking Midnight Marauders. You remember those feelings about B slimes or like. Like the albums, like like yeah, who, who the fuck is Consequence? Like why do you care about Consequence? You remember that first? Like who the fuck is Jay Dilla? And then the Love Movement, and then I remember those feelings because I remember when the album came out was when I first went to Pratt in New York, and then them announcing that they was breaking up. It was weird. It was weird. Like it was like something was gone, and to basically see like you hear rumors about what's beefing between them, and then you just see them like see it all play out. Mm-hmm. And to see Alicia, he kind of stuck in the middle, just yeah. like with that face, like, yeah. And then you, <laughs> yeah, that face. It was crazy, and then it was cool to see like the unofficial like side partners was Daylight, and to see them like, like they just tired of this shit. Like y'all just need to go to fuck home. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was interesting to get that balance of some people that know them. And going through it, because Ali Shahid was like, he's stuck in the middle. But like Maceo and Paz and uh, Dove, they don't, like, nah, like, they, the grownest men in hip hop is De La Soul. And it's like, yeah. like, this shit is, y'all, this shit is getting aggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because when 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 uh when, when Dove, a.k.a. Dave, was like, when they had him on camera, he was like, look, I, I wish they stopped. They need to go home. And when we, you know, like I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but when he said that, he's just like, "Look, he's like, I love these guys, I love their music, you know, I, I love them, but what they're doing right now isn't what they, you know, it, it's not, it's nowhere near the quality of what they're able to perform." He's like, "I'm tired of it. They need to go home." Yeah. And you know, and to, and to hear that was like, it was shocking. It was shocking, and it was sad at the same time. Very much. And before this, before I saw that, especially the De La Soul part, um, like I had never really thought about these guys as like friends, like, you know, artists, people who work together, people who know each other. Sure. But like friends who have a very long storied history together. And, uh, you know, as the documentary shows going all the way back to high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With Fife, it goes back to like they was toddlers, like. Yeah, Q-Tip and Five Dog known each other since they was like two, three, four years old. Mm-hmm. Like to know each other that long, it was about to have been through all the different things. Like Q-Tip's father's dying. Like 
fights diabetes, like his need of a train, like all that shit building up. It's just like, yeah, those dudes are like brothers. No wonder they they clash heads so much because you can't be around with somebody that long. Mm-hmm. And that not to happen, right? And yeah, not and not only that, but you do that, and then compound it with the fact that you're constantly on tour. So the only people you're seeing are the same people you're touring with every single day. So eventually, you're gonna get tired of them. So that's why Fife had talked about, you know, talked about bringing Jerobi back because you know Fife was tight with Jerobi, and he knew that if he got tired of being around, you know, uh, Q-Tip. He could go, you know, get with Jerobi. They could go to a game. They go get something to eat, and you know, just just to get away from it. Because you're right. It's like you know when when you've known somebody for like that long, doesn't matter if um, you're not of the same bloodline. You're essentially family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're essentially family. So sometimes you need that getaway point. But there's so much tension. Um, and and even during the tension, you know, they always find a way to like make up. But at the same time, there's like this bitterness, like you guys had mentioned, between Tip and Fife. Tip is, you know, you know, many people call Tip a perfectionist. You know, he's a music, you know, he's a musician. This is what he loves. This is his craft. And and regardless of whether Tribe was going to stick together or not, as far as recording albums goes, he was always going to create more music because that's his personality. That's his mo. He has to create music. Like he said in the documentary, he's like, I'm not an athlete. Athletes retire. Musicians don't retire. You know, he's like Sammy Davis Jr. performed until he couldn't perform no more. You know, all these other artists performed until they couldn't perform anymore. He's like, I'm a, you know, he's like, I'm an artist. I'm a musician. This is what I do. And and in, in between the creation of the albums um, of like Beats, Rhymes and Life and um, the love and, movement and the love movement, like that separation I remember because like I came on to Tribe. I didn't come on to Tribe late. The first album I bought was Midnight Marauders, and that came out in '93. I bought it in '94 after watching the videos on uh, Yo MTV Raps and Rap City nonstop. I was like, you know what? I just need to go ahead and cop this CD. So I went ahead and copped it in '94, and it stayed in heavy rotation in my car. And that was like my first Tribe album. So I went from Midnight Marauders to then waiting like you know a couple of years for beats rhymes to, for uh, beats rhymes in life and there was such a difference now granted also at the same time you know it was stated in the documentary that fife had moved to atlanta and you know and like and tip had his ways of producing things and getting things together and it was just a completely different vibe and and you can tell listening to that album now you can definitely tell that there's a big difference between the togetherness that's from their first two albums to that album right there mm-hmm. is a very big difference. Like the sound, the sound, the sound is whatever, whatever, because it's a different time. It's a different era. We're hitting this like new era, this new phase of hip hop in 96. So you're getting all these different sounds. And I've even heard some people say this album is very mainstream. I still don't know how to classify this album because out of all the tribe albums, it's the album I've listened to the least between between that and then the love movement, which I love. I think that's a great album, but literally finding out in this documentary that literally there was no love to, <laughs> to be found within the group at that time is sad because that is a very beautiful album. It is. I mean, even with appearances by Noriega, which to me make no sense. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, yo, people fuck with Noriega, son. Oh, no. Oh, I don't no. know. Like, they, like, people really ride with Nori up there. Like, Nori, like, 
people fucks with Nori, man. I don't know. He's just super ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> like, Yo, just, it is. I remember reading an interview. I think it was in Double XL with Noriega, where he had just like broken out as a solo star, and he was talking about how, um, you know, he's gonna keep his street, and he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna dumb down his records, but he's not gonna smarten them up either. He's not gonna use words like repertoire or juxtapose in his records, and that like me and my friends read that, and we just like died laughing like, <laughs> that's cause, amazing yeah like because repertoire is not really <laughs> like that complicated of a word right. but he like he made sure to specify that that particular one oh, oh noriega yes yes i'll always have love for that dude poppy poppy <laughs> <laughs> or well you know what the, the thing is for me the only time i listen to noriega records during the period of time where the neptunes produced his beats I would listen to a Noriega record when when they were on the beat. Anybody else, I wouldn't fool with it. I just I, I just wouldn't I would not fool with it. But if Pharrell and Chad Hugo and all them made that beat, I would listen to it. It's I mean, come on, man. He has some ignorant ass songs. Super Thug. Oh come on. <laughs> Super Thug is a classic. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 in the, quietly in the background, yeah, man, that is. Uh, <laughs> oh, just ignorant. something in this documentary and they don't really touch on it too much because you only see him a couple of times and is it me and if you you have an opinion on this please feel free to uh, elaborate is it me or does it really come off like Barry Weiss who was the Jive executive at that time I don't think he had any idea what what Jive had with Tribe Called Quest I really don't and 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 I don't know whether that's because he didn't really understand hip-hop and yeah, he's a businessman. He's in the business to make records, to make money. But from another side of it, I really don't think he truly understood what he had with Tribe Called Quest. I don't know. I read that um, book, The Big Payback, like the business of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And between reading that, hearing the story of Tribe, and listening to Pusha T and Malice talk about all their issues with Jive, yo, I'm also like real fuck, fuck that dude. Like he's just shady. Mm-hmm. Like the rule 4080 yeah. comes from this dude. Like 4080 comes with their interactions with this dude. He knew what the fuck he had. That's the most interesting part of the of the documentary. Is clearly when Q Tip decided to dissolve the group, Fife didn't know what to do because he's only done that his entire life at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Ali was just kind of like, I like you really just deciding this. And clearly, Q-Tip, you can see it, was basically like, I'm not fucking with Barry Weiss anymore. Like, he was, he's like talking around it, like, I'm not fucking with this dude no more. I'll break up the group. I can't deal with this shit anymore. And they can't get out of their contract. 
If they could have got out of that contract, we probably would still have a drop goal quest. Yeah, because they have one more record, one more record under the Jive label um, to mm. fulfill their to fulfill their contract from '88. Wow, we're never they're never going to fulfill it because they're not fucking with that dude. See, because I, I didn't know it was that bad with Jive. Honestly, I did not, I, and I haven't read that book, and I've been wanting to read that book that you, that you, that you mentioned. I didn't know. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I mean, I know that I've known that Jive has had issues in the past. Um, especially, um, and it was documented on, um, on five solo record, um, which was, which was released under raucous records. And he talked about, well, and that, I think the song was called flawless. And he talked about, and this is during the period of time, like on this record, he had beef with tip because tip had cut his first solo album. He had this tip said like, um, I think for the video, uh, uh, let's see, hold on. Uh, the second single off the Q-tip album, breathe and stop. Yeah. Um, on the Breathe and Stop video, he said Q, uh, Five said Q-Tip was looking like a space pirate and uh, dressing all crazy. And he's like, he didn't understand this. He's like, you know, where's the real hip hop at? And he also talked about Jive Records and how Jive went from being a label that was all about hip hop and R&B music from like all genre, like all levels and genres and ages to just going to like a straight pop label. From going from like Tribe Called Quest to like Britney Spears. And and in sync and and because they pulled in sync from from RCA Records and uh, and Backstreet Backstreet Boys and all that stuff. He's like, how are you gonna flip like this? It's like you know you used to stand for this and now you stand for this. Granted, once again, it's a business, but still, it's it's yeah. it's still it's still crazy though. It's like, well, hmm. yeah, we supported all the black music and we're kind of done with that now. Next, you, you know, it's we're going to this pop stuff. We're, we're going to this pop stuff because. You know, we can get money from both sides of the game instead of one, one and a half sides of the game. Yeah, man, I just don't. That shit is shady. Like, oh. I, 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 see, <laughs> I just don't. I just don't fuck with. Like, he fucked over like two of my favorite groups. Like, I can't like, like fuck that, fuck that label. Can't what, fuck with what was it. the other yeah. group he fucked over? He fucked over the clips. Oh, the clips. That's right. The, yeah, the I clips, got. Yeah. Yo, shit is so serious. Like the fucking clips. Some of the trillest motherfuckers. The rap about cocaine. <laughs> Yo, wasn't Mystical on Jive before No Limit took him? Um, uh, no, no, no. I wouldn't be so, Wait, I thought he would. No, he was always with No Limit, but the albums came out through Jive. Okay, that's the, right. The albums always came out through Jive because what happened is if you look, look, <laughs> if you go back and look on uh, probably like every Mystical album with the exception of the first one, if it was an independent record, you'd flip the back of the album, you flip the CD over, CD case over, and it'd be that big ass No Limit tank, and you'd see <laughs> a little Jive logo over in the corner. Mm-hmm. That was the most gaudy back cover. Some of the most gaudy back covers in the history of album design. Oh man, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word that I would use, but they yeah. were they were unique and distinct. You could always tell a No Limit cover. Yes, yes. Looked like it was made of Kinkos. Um, <laughs> I want to make a comic book cover looking like that so bad. It would be so dope to pick up like oh, a man, a freaking like a Human Torch comic book. It just like freaking. Like a no limit, <laughs> like nineteen ninety seven. It comes in like maybe like a red bag, like a red plastic bag. <laughs> oh, and it's but it has to come with like a fake gold chain. Five million degrees. Oh, that's what yeah. we call it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no man, it's you know I'm, I'm glad that I'm you know but I'm glad that at the end of the documentary though that they still you know they're still able to get together. And tour and be you know and be a family, you know yeah all families can be dysfunctional, but I'm glad that at least it came out 
there was a happy ending. You know what you know what I mean? But still, no matter what, there could always be beef and they could, you know, split split up again. Um, you know, and I and I didn't know until like I said before, I didn't know until the end of the end of the documentary that they still had one album left on their jive contract. And and Julian, by you stating about Barry Weiss and, you know, thinking what Q tip is thinking possibly, that makes sense. That makes sense to as why they broke up. And and I think that possibly if it was and it may have been explained to Fife, but I think if it was better explained to Fife, maybe there wouldn't have been that tension. You know what I mean? Because like Q-Tip being, you know, being a musician, being an artist, he's like, okay, I'm done with this phase. I'm moving over to here. And he's probably like, guys, you know, y'all should do y'all's thing too. But instead, I think it was just more of a movement. He just made his movement. And Fife is like, like you said, Fife was just like, well, this is all I know. And I never prepared for anything else. You know, can you give me a better heads up? You know what I mean? Or, or maybe I'm I'm looking at it wrong. I don't I don't know. It's just well, I th- I think I think the other member was probably been a lot more willing to just yo let's just let do the last album and then we go sign another deal. Yeah. Like come on, they had Chris Lighty as like their management. Like Chris Lighty could have got them a better deal. Somewhere. Oh, <laughs> he just took him to Def Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. especially during that especially during that period of time because if they had if they had got that last album out um, because Love Movement was what year was Love Movement. 98. 98. 98. Okay. Yeah. If they got that last, if, if they probably would have cut one more album, like Lightly, Lightly, Lightly would have been able to get them to get an album out between 99, 2000, and then he would have gotten that Def Jam deal around 2000, 2001, when Def Jam was signing everybody. Oh, that'd have worked out. That'd have worked out splendid. <laughs> they would, were signing everybody. Yeah, they, they were. Dude, like <laughs> I said before, Dub C, Ghetto Heisman. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Jail Felony. Yes, jail oh. felony. <laughs> I was ass. Oh <laughs> man! But I fuck with that ghetto Heisman. I fuck with that ghetto Heisman. Man, Dub C was dope. Yeah, man. Man, I, I love Dub C. Dub C. So, Dub C. So I had to play with in the game, the little little Def Jam wrestling game. We had to like, yo, he go for it, punch you in the face, like yo, Dub C. <laughs> Real quick, going back to the the point about doing the last album, and you know, if if Five had been told by by Tip, it it kind of seemed to me like at that point in their relationship, like Five wasn't ready to really hear anything from Tip. So oh, even okay. if he had tried to explain it, it it's still like the bitterness and tension that was already there had just built up too much. Mm-hmm. It's you know, but it's just it's just sad, like. You know, like watching the documentary and like and, and, and Fife is just getting his feelings out. And you could and you can tell it's it's like you could tell he's not he's mad, but he loves Tip, but at the same time he's he's mad and he's really trying to find the right way to channel it, but it really just comes yeah. off like fuck this dude. Yeah. You, you, you know what I mean? But they work it out. But still it, it hurts because you I this is the one Absolutely. thing I never wanted to see. I, yeah. I never wanted to see, you know what I mean? Because like when they when they said Love Movement was the last album, I was sad. And like my friends were like, well, you know what, man? It's all right. People are allowed to move on. People are yeah. allowed to do other things. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it's like it's tribe. It's like they are like one of, you know, my personal pioneers. I don't want to see that end. Yeah. And he's like, well, you always have their music. I was like, yeah, I know. I know. And it kind of goes back to that vending machine theory. I'm like, these cats ain't vending machines. They can do whatever they want. They don't have to serve you anymore. But um, but it's still it's still sad though. But- Absolutely, for for you know to have a catalog and a career that is just so clear that 
you know, up until now, we thought the entire time they were just having so much fun. And and to like have that veil just completely torn away and the the glass shattered and you see just how angry these dudes are at each other. Mm-hmm. It's I I wasn't ready for that. No, me neither. And and now I understand like with Ali with uh, Ali Shahi Muhammad always being in the middle of things. Now I understand why he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and produce this stuff over here. Um, I'm going to do this Lucy Pearl record. Um, I'm going, you know, I'm just going to get myself involved in so many other things to keep myself out of the tension. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Plus, Ali, uh, Ali Shahid Muhammad is beyond talented. He's, he's incredible. You know, I wish Lucy Pearl would have had more than one album, but um, we'll talk about Rafael Sadiq some other time. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll That's talk, funny. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Sadiq some, some other time, though. A couple of cultural things that I got from this documentary that I think a lot of people, like especially in today's generation, this is stuff that they don't have to do anymore because everything is either a so instant or can be captured or or put on a device, you know, with the greatest of ease. The way music was listened to when when we, like um when the members of Tribe and myself when we were kids, you know, you had when you know you had your radio. Your radio was everything, especially if you had a radio with a built-in tape deck that could record stuff. That was everything to kids yeah you know that's how you discovered music yeah you had mtv yeah you had bet depending on where you was at but you know vcrs were expensive way back when and and it wasn't until they became cheaper than everybody had one and then you could record your favorite videos and like share them with your friends but before that you had a boom box with the tape deck and you know if you heard your favorite song you recorded it on tape and he would like go through the radio stations, make sure you fine tune it because this wasn't a digital tuner. You know, it was you had to turn that dial just right to get as clear as possible. Record your songs and be like, "Yo, did you hear this? Oh, you didn't? Listen to this tape. I made you a copy." And and that and that's how like the love of music spread. Nowadays, it's a lot different. It's a lot more instant. You know, Julian pointed it out to us like you know many many episodes ago. It's a YouTube generation. Yo, I heard this new song. Let me hop on YouTube. You, you know, it's it's so instant, but there's something about the 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 old way you really had to work for it and now you don't it's like a different type of work though because it's like so much stuff is out mm-hmm. it's it's like a different it's like an account of like trying to filter out the good shit because like back then you had the tastemakers like as they show like you had red alert mm-hmm. had his show up there i know they had mr magic his competing show and then later on you had hot 97 blowing up there you had the the other stations in which that actual big company owns popping up in L.A. and popping up all over the place with the power this and the hot this or whatever. And then they like they had certain DJs and people, the DJs became important. So they would filter and they would be like, yo, this is the hot shit. We're going to play you the hot shit over here. We're going to play you the hot shit over there. And somehow you turn on turn on your yo MTV jams and then that's how you find out what popping off across the country. That's how you find out what happened off of stuff over there. So now there's no filter. Everything just can come to you. You gotta look to your friends, and you would say you say your friends ain't really got the best judgment. You're like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work, you know what I'm saying? Rolling Stone is ain't as important as it used to be. The source isn't the source anymore. Right. Like, like what what does five mics mean now? Five mics just means something to a bunch of people like us who remember when five mics was like 
Yo, that shit got five mics. Mm-hmm. Remember when double X, you know, album getting double XL was woo. That album got double XL. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys. Oh, Yo. hey. Ah, uh, what up? What, what's up, Taylor? How you doing, man? Uh, one sec. Let me just get my life sorted out quickly. I've just finished dinner, man. Sorry, boys. <laughs> oh snap! Was that late over there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, what is it? It's uh, four o'clock Sunday dinner. Oh, that's uh. what's up. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, boys? Oh, doing good, do, doing good. Doing good. We've we, we've been in we've been in about I'd say about thirty minutes strong uh, talking about the uh, Tribe Called Quest documentary. Oh wow, you guys are early, man. No, we said eleven o'clock. Hold on, I'm gonna go back check my email. Hold yeah, on, yeah. hold up, yeah, eleven eleven o'clock. Yeah, eleven o'clock Eastern Standard five, Time, which is five hours. It's five to four here. So we had that we had that date daylight savings, son. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> shit, man. Oh, we have to yo, this is another reason why daylight savings gotta be the ended, yo. It's messing everything up. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, boys. I'm so so sorry. Oh no, it's all right. No worries, no worries. It's okay. Yeah. It's blame Congress. Right. Blame Congress. It's their fault. Yeah. <laughs> daylight savings gap for Taylor. <laughs> Gaffled him. Oh, man. He does the best. That has to stay in, yo. That <laughs> has to stay in the show. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to keep it in there. Oh, man. That's, that's like an educational lesson right there. Ladies and gentlemen, when you go, when you flip to Daylight Savings time, please let your friends overseas and over in <laughs> Europe know that you've done flipped so we, we can all be on the same time <laughs> What did you boys think of the actual documentary? Oh, amazing. It is, it is great. Fantastic. I was surprised uh, Rappaport could pull off such a feat. I didn't know he, he could actually do it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what did you, who did you boys think was a villain of the piece? I, I tried not to, I, tr- I really tried not to point out no villains. I, I, I really didn't. Like, only thing, the way it came off, the way it was filmed, it came off like Fife was the bad dude. And, really? And, and, oh, man, I totally thought Q-Tip was the villain. The first time, to me, it comes off as the first viewing is I've seen like four times now. The first viewing, Q-Tip is the bad guy. Okay, okay. Because Robert Boy seems to really empathize with Fife. Okay, and he rides with Fife the most. While like Q-Tip is coming off awesome Diana Ross shit, but then you watch it more and more, and then you know, like I said, I do a little research. I don't fuck with Very Vice. That motherfucker's the villain (laughs) because they don't talk about that shit. It's that fucking the fucking record deal is the reason why we ain't got no new fucking kid. tribe out. Telling you, four times in. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, I got I got to agree with both of you or all of you to a certain extent. Like the first time I watched it, definitely Q-Tip was painted as a villain of the piece. You know, almost as if he grew out of the band and the rest of the guys just weren't important enough to, for him. But the more and more I watched it, I've watched it three times now. Fife. Without, man, it almost sounds blasphemous because he's one of the legends in the game, but he come across as bitter, you know, like really bitter about the whole situation. And he kind of like, I'm not going to front, life dealt him a, a pretty hard card in terms of his health and stuff like that. But Absolutely. dude was really, 
really bitter about the whole situation. And the more you watch it, you kind of think Q-Tip was like, well, success come along. They wanted me to have a solo career. I was going to make my money. And he kind of took it with both hands. And Fife kind of felt a bit like, boy, like he was left behind almost. But the person I feel most sorry for is Ali Shaheed Mohammed. Like the whole documentary just paints him as this guy standing in the middle between everyone else and just like trying to make everyone be a happy family and just failing at every single turn. That's the truth. Yeah. That's yeah. the truth. I think I think if Fife would have popped a solo career, which he failed at, man, it would have been a different I, story. I loved his album. It was good, but yeah, it didn't it was pop. Really good. No, it, it didn't, didn't pop. In ninety in ninety nine, yo, Fiverr thing came out. That's all you heard. Yeah. Was it yeah. I think that came out in the summer? Oh my God. And at the time as well, Q Tip was going on like hip hop's Lenny Kravitz or saying, getting his abs out, getting the fine girls in the videos. <laughs> Fife could never pull that off, you know. No. Yeah. But yeah. up front on the guy, but he couldn't pull that off the way Q Tip well, could. Well, not only that though, but also think about it like this. It wasn't like Raucous Records had that advertising budget to push yeah. to, to push a record to the forefront. You know what I mean? But it's different though, because like <coughs> I remember when they were talked about him coming out through Raucous, you got hyped because, yo, Black Star came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm skewed because I was actually in school in Brooklyn when it dropped. Man. All you heard was the de- definition, Lord of the mercy. Yep. And that, <laughs> oh, my God. And, yo, and then like... um. One, two, like three. three. Like all the albums <laughs> they was dropping mm-hmm. was taking over the streets. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I could be skewed because I was in Brooklyn. <laughs> Rockets was you know, big in Brooklyn, and then like, like ooh, at that time, man, man, at, wait, wait. no, sorry to interrupt. At that man, Rockets at that time was my absolute favorite label, and to like find out that that Fife's record was coming out on Rockets, it was like, oh my god, this is going to be amazing, right? And it was, but the thing about that is like coming out on Rockets, it it sets a certain expectation, and it also puts a ceiling on it. Because like like uh like you were saying, it you know, they don't have that kind of budget on it. And like the other kind of records that were coming out of Rockets were like Lyricist Lounge and mm-hmm. you know, Black Star was the outlier of of everything Rockets has ever put out. The only thing that ever came close was most Def's first record. Yeah. Still amazing. Oh, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you but, mean in terms yeah. of quality or in terms of, of sales? Well, of sales, but I think of style, because you have to think, like, Rockus also put out the Company Flow record. Yeah, yeah. And then they put and, out... Um, and Sound Bombing 1 and 2. And, and then they if you're talking put out, about... Um, what's your, oh, sorry, go on. Go on, Julia, Nah, I was thinking, who was... Uh, uh, shit. Simon Says. I can't think of oh, his name. Oh, Pharaoh Monk. Yeah, Pharaoh Yeah, they put out Pharaoh. His album blew up, yo. That yeah. Yeah. Simon Says blew yeah. up. Because yeah, that, when you're talking about financial, yeah, when you're talking about financial stuff, like Simon Says was a real certified hit for the guys, man. But like, you're, you're right. I, I think it was weird. The sound changed. His sound didn't fit Rockets. It's like, yeah. like I don't, I don't know with Five. I don't know why he didn't pop. I, I know why Q-Tip pop. Q-Tip is light skinned it. Q-Tip the ladies <laughs> like him. Like they always like him since Benita Applebaum. It's like ladies like Q-Tip, and his all his tracks was about ladies. He had them high wings videos, like. Chris Lighty really, really pushed him heavy with the violated management. He was on a yeah. violated track. Yeah. He was all over the place. He was still producing like hot ass tracks. Yeah. And I think he people, did that Janet Jackson record. Yeah, he did the Janet. People really, really sweated. I think people knew that he was in the production shit early because mm-hmm. he was also producing shit on Mad. He was producing Nas's. He was on Nas's record. 
I think he was on like a couple Wu Tang members records. Like he was Q Tip was some shit that like motherfuckers who fuck with beats was on already. It's like, yeah, we know he can spit, but like, yo, he gotta produce this track for me. And you didn't even fucking know Q Tip was producing that shit till you get older. Like when the end of the movie, you got fucking Dove talking about like, I wanna know what did you use under the Crooklyn Dodgers beat? Yes. Like that's some shit. Like I've I hit smack me in the face like like 10 years ago when I found out he did that I was like I didn't even know Q-Tip was the production because he like he said in the movie like it was a trial called Quest it wasn't like yo Q-Tip made this Q-Tip made that Q-Tip made this you ain't fucking know like I didn't know as a kid mm-hmm. had to be an adult well he made a, he made quite a lot of uh, productions under the Umar name didn't he so that was another thing like when I used to look in the liner notes it was like, produced by the Umar it's like Who, who's this who's this but as you said until you get a bit older and then you realise who that was and who the crew was who was operating and pro- producing with Q-Tip at the time. But one thing I will say as well is I think Q-Tip was a lot more successful because he changed his sound as well to an extent when he released his solo stuff. Like, it was definitely more palatable to uh, the commercial ear. Like, the stuff that he was doing on Vibrant thing was totally different to the stuff he was doing with Tribe back in the early 90s. On that whole Amplified album, there's only two or three joints that really sound like tribe tunes. The rest were really like the production wise were really forward thinking and definitely catering towards the like the larger commercial set. But but I will say this though, after that first album, after that first Q Tip solo album dropped, he originally wanted to drop a, a new album, an album after that called Kamal the Abstract, which came out yeah. many, 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 many years later. He tried to put out that record and like because like uh, he was on Jive for a solo for for the for his first solo album, right? I'm trying to remember. I'm really trying to remember because I still get that mixed up. But um, no, he probably wouldn't have been on job because he wouldn't fuck with Barry Weiss. But um, his after his first solo solo record, he tried to come out with Kamal the Abstract, which is a musical album. It is you know it's, it's you know it's not just hip hop. It's not just this. It's not just that. It's a musical album, and the label wasn't feeling it. And I had heard it via bootleg because a friend of mine gave it to me, and I was like, whoa, this is different from like anything he's ever done before. And the label didn't feel it. It never came out. And then I remember a couple years later, he signed with Motown. And then he was supposed to, he had a he had a first single that came out that was released for free through Circuit City. If you bought something, you got a free disc from Circuit City. And uh, it was called, the song was called For the Nasty. It was produced by the Neptunes. And it had, um, and it had Busta Rhymes on it. And that was the first single that was supposed to be on his new album from Motown. Then nothing happened for like another year or two. And then eventually, boom, the Renaissance dropped. It's, it's really weird. And the Renaissance is a great album. I love that album. I think it's a fantastic album. And then like later on, like Kamal the Abstract finally came out through some outlet. But, you know, his progress of trying to get music out it after um, the first Q-Tip solo record, it's been a journey. You know what I mean? And... And like I think some of that goes to the point where they said in the documentary that Q-Tip is a perfectionist. Like Chris Lightley, though the late Chris Lightley, had said in that in that documentary when they were doing low end theory that they were trying to get, they kept asking for the record, kept asking for the record, and you know, and, and Tip would like you know, try to change up some things, move some things here, and Lightley just took it. He's like, just just give me the record. It's done. It's done. Give me the record. <laughs> you know, it's done. Give it to me. He's like, and that's how we got the record out because we finally just took it. It's amazing. Q-Tip's career um, is um, 
it's it's like it's an interesting journey because I really don't think people understand the road he had to take outside a tribe outside outside a tribe to get to where he is right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Arista, I agree. by the way, Arista. Thank you. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, thank you. It was you're right. It was Arista. Yeah, yeah, man. I. Like I said, that come all the abstract record. If you can find it, I think it's on iTunes now. If you can find it, give it a listen. I'm curious to see what our listeners and, and, and y'all think about it. Like I said before, it's not like any tribe record or or like I said, it's not like the Renaissance and it's not like Q Tips for a solo record. It's com- it's just something completely different altogether. All and I, I give them props for doing something like that, but in the public eye, in the public eye, it probably would have been a commercial failure. It was some Soul Quarian shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I hated I hated the common record that the Soul Quarians did. As I hated it when it came out, and I love Is that it now. Electric yeah. Circus or Water for Chocolate? Yeah. It was yeah, Electric it was Circus, yeah. Electric Circus. Was it Electric Circus? Yeah, well, yeah it was. I'm not sure, because both of them, I think, may have come out on Soul Quarry you know um yeah water for chocolate okay. was the more was the it was more, it was, less god sorry man i was gonna say it's definitely the more palatable of the two yeah electric circus is a bit out there but i think erica badu has a lot to answer for for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's true well, that's, uh, you listen yeah, to the songs yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Powerful, you listen to the songs <laughs> My well, man. no, and both are dead prez as well. Like, you know, supposedly she's with Jay Electronica now, isn't she? She used to be. Yeah. But <laughs> Erica, but look, look what she's done to Jay Electronica. He hasn't even released a record yet. She's got some <laughs> mystical powers, like some career killing powers up in her. Yo, I went and saw her live and she had like a, it was like a two hour set and it was split up into seven chakras. And every chakra change, she would ding this tuning fork on this mystical bar that she had set up on the stage. It was amazing. <laughs> That's <laughs> what it sounds like. <laughs> she's talented, no doubt, but she's uh, she's definitely walking her own path. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Uh, just before I forget, speaking of concerts, I know I'm going totally off one at the moment, but I know uh, Sean will definitely be very interested. Did you hear about the Jodeci concert in London? What? what? Wait a minute. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Time out, time out, time out, time out. You just can't throw that at me like that. I know, I know, I know. That's why I, I thought I'd better throw it in before I forgot. Um, unfortunately, it's not, um, it's not good news. Supposedly, oh. they all come out heavily intoxicated on something or other. I think Jojo fell off the stage a couple of times. A couple of times. Yeah, like seriously, (laughs) they were all singing out of key and out of note and everything. But it was on the same bill as Guy, Drew Hill and SWV. And the other three performed admirably for uh, for all intents and purposes. But yeah. Hold on, was it Blackstreet there? I saw saw people tweet. Oh, sorry. No, not Guy. Blackstreet. Yeah, it was Blackstreet, not Guy. Sorry. I knew Teddy Riley was there in some shape or form. Okay. You know what? Okay. I'm going to say this. I've said it once. I'll say it again. Somebody get the motherfuckers in rehab and keep them in rehab and don't let them leave rehab because all they are doing is destroying themselves. As somebody that saw them as the opening act for the new edi- for new edition last year, they were the opening act. And for the first five minutes, it was incredible. It was just well, it was it wasn't Jodeci, it was just Casey and JoJo. 
The first five minutes, incredible. The only thing they had was a backing track, and they were singing Life, and, and Casey was getting into it, and it was great. And then you saw the reveal when you realized that JoJo was either intoxicated, out of his mind, because he couldn't sing at all. It just, it hurts. It hurts because I think when I saw them with new when, when they were the opening act for New Edition, that was the last time that they were allowed to be part of that tour. Who keeps booking them? Who allows them to go on stage? Even I don't care if it's a Jodeci reunion because like there have even been things with Devontae Swing having some manic fits in certain places in public. Oh, Devontae Swing supposedly didn't even turn up, according to reports. He didn't even turn up. Like it's like, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm just gonna kick it in London somewhere. I ain't even gonna jam with these guys like that. But yeah, like. That, what else I, are you doing, Devontae Swing? Why why would you not do this? This is huge. <sighs> this is what I mean. And it was at O2, I think, which is like a twenty-five thousand arena. Yeah. It was like one of these big new jack swing revival sort of things. Right. Sounds nah. amazing. Yeah. And see, well <laughs> geez. I don't know. <laughs> you see, I would I would have loved to seen the rest of that concert, but anytime Casey, JoJo, or even the words Jodeci are mentioned live, in and, and I, I get scared. Because it's a train wreck waiting to happen, and and nobody stops them. But then again, they're grown men, and they can't even stop themselves. Like, Casey and JoJo were the same people that a few years ago had a reality show on TV One about them rehabbing. And For real? Yes. Um, oh, no. Yes. They were, they, were so, <laughs> they were so jacked up that when they went to rehab, they had to be put on like some they had so much alcohol in their bloodstream they had to like be put on ivs for like a certain extended period of time just to filter all the alcohol out of their bloodstream wow that's how bad they were and then they got out of rehab and they're like okay we turn our lives around all is good and circa 2012 2013 no, it's not. There have been so many Jodeci reunions and, and stuff and things are supposed to pop off and then nothing ever comes from it. And then I hear this situation. Man, my heart is just hurt. But hopefully the hopefully SWV kicked it live and Blackstreet kicked it live. And, Yo, and can't they just get... <clears throat> Cisco to sing all of freaking Casey's parts. He was just a Casey clone anyway, and they could just they could just actually have Drew Hill. <clears throat> Excuse me, just cover all of Josie's hits because basically that's what they were. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Two two things I will say by all accounts: Teddy Riley was on point. Cisco and Drew Hill were on point as well. And the one other thing I will say is. It's sad to lament about Jodeci's downfall, but I'll tell you something for nothing. Between 1990 and 1996, them boys had the wildest time. They had a better time than all of us put together could ever dream of having. The wildest <laughs> parties. They were doing, hey, look at that two-pack video. Uh, what was it? How do you want it? Yeah. Like, you knew yeah. oh, man. that was the start of their downfall. You know, <laughs> when, they, when you saw that video, you were like, oh, okay. Is this how they're living? I thought they were sweet boys. Obviously not. Oh man, they was living. They was living crazier than that before that video. All right, that but you know what? There's just one last thing before before we uh, close off this topic. I rudely shoehorned in. Um, <laughs> one thing I will say is it's sad that there's no real uh, male harmony groups like Jodeci really doing it around at the moment. Like. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling hard to think of a big group like a Jodeci or a Drew Hill or a guy or whoever who's doing it in 2013. That's a that's a definite hole that needs plugging in the music industry right now. The business now, the business pushed individualism over groups as, as far as black music goes. They made that push years ago to lim to like eliminate groups. 
Yeah, that's that was I was actually going to ask that question. Like, has there been a group in rap or R&B or anything like that in the last like five years? Not really. Not, not really, selling no. big units, not selling big units, definitely. Right. I mean, and, and like now and, and now some of the business understands the issues that they've made by, you know, by trying to force individualism and like dissolve groups, the, you know, the group method. And I know like as far as like on, on like R&B goes, there's like a young R&B slash pop hybrid called Mindless Behavior, which I like to call. Imm- oh, God. Which I like to call Immature the Next Generation. <laughs> and I mean, and like, it's not for me, but like the kids love it. And like, I don't get like, I don't get anything from it. It's like, I don't hear, I don't hear a sound. I don't hear a voice. I don't hear anything original from it. You know, like at least when Immature came out way back in the 90s, it's like, here's our sound. This is what we're going to sing about. And here you go. And I was like, I, I accept. But like, <laughs> you know, but like the thing is, it's like, is, is mindless behavior getting the love they're getting because they're that good or is it because they're the only group that they have to push so let's put them on 106 in park sorry wait yeah uh, who a mindless behavior um they're, they're like it's just for like black kids that sing and they're getting a push a lot on like yeah on like bt and like urban markets they're like okay. yo basically he calls them immature basically they B2K13. There you go. Yeah, you right. You right. B2K13. You right. You right. Cuz yeah. like immature I could mess with. Like immature was kind of cool cuz when I was the right age like the girls liked them and then you got um homeboy that was on sister to sister all the time and then the other one and then the other one and then like they kind of faded back it was a like Batman or whatever. Whatever. They faded away his homeboy then they found B2K and then like I ain't mess with them, but then Omarion had that hot ass Neptune record touch, what I can still listen to to this day. Yeah. And it's like, and he had the ice box where, you know what I'm saying, where his heart used to be. I was like, yo, that's my yeah, man that's right there. <laughs> but then, it's like, it's, it's, it's crazy on oh, music alone. Like, yo, Taylor, your country took R&B because like, y'all doing R&B. We, go, we doing this rap singing mess that they call R&B over here. Mm-hmm. Oh, but y'all. Well, Hey, we ain't gonna fake because yo, Justin Timberlake album is a really an R and B record. All the Robin Thicke's records are R and B. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's it's weird right now. Like R and B is hurting. And and then that and that's why like you know I know a lot of people like you know the, these Usher albums, but Usher's doing a lot of pop records now. Man, Usher. Yeah, is so last year that jam was all right. That climax tune was all right. You know, last oh, yeah. year that, that was a hot, hot record. And there are some R and B people, like guys doing it out there at the moment. Like your mileage may vary, but I'm a big fan of Cassie. I think Cassie makes a sort of music that Justin Timberlake should be making. Like I, I don't know about you boys, but I listened to his new album once through, and I wasn't really feeling it at the moment. I, it might take another a couple of listens but i don't know i'm a bit soured on timberland i, I don't know what he did to me he's, he didn't do nothing personal i just <laughs> i'm just a bit soured on him like maybe his face is on too many videos at the moment i don't know i don't know Timber, timberland he went away a while for me so him coming back right now i'm good i'm good with it that timberlake album is incredible i i will not front i will not front on that record it is incredible because the new one 2020 yeah, yeah. 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 And and the reason why and the reason why now and I wish other artists would do this again, because it's kind of like, you know, I don't know why artists, you know, decided to just like follow these like rigid rules of a song must be two minutes and 57 seconds long so it can get on the radio and all this other stuff like Tim, Timber, the Timberlake album songs are like eight minutes. And, you know, songs like in between seven, to eight minutes. And yeah, it has breaks. 
So if you wanted to like make it a radio edit, you could do that. But they're actual songs. And a lot of artists nowadays aren't even really artists because they don't make songs. They make gimmicks. You know what I'm saying? They make mm-hmm. they make gimmicks. It's either a gimmick and a hook, and that's it. And that's a real big problem with R&B. And you could do whatever you want to do, but it was weird, like when um when you had like you know NSYNC and uh, Backstreet and all them cats basically do like wash down R&B until until like NSYNC said, you know what, let's go get the Neptunes and let's let's make an R&B record. Um, oh, that album was fire. Yeah, damn, that album was fire. Yeah, Celebrity was dope. I ain't even gonna front on that. Celebrity was a dope record, but still. But still, my, my whole point was was that, okay, these cats are starting to do R&B, so like, R&B artists are like, okay, well, if they're going to do that, we're going to do pop records. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, you can do whatever you want to do to get your audience because, you know, music is a universal thing, but it's like there is so little soul in a lot of R&B records nowadays. And, and, I'm, and like, you know, and there are cats that still make great soul records. Like, say, for instance, Raphael Sadiq is a perfect example. That dude makes great soul records. Love them. Absolutely love him. Joe will make a great R&B record. You don't hear much about Joe because it's like R&B stations is like if this dude is over 30, you're only allowed two artists, R. Kelly and one other dude, and they will not play Joe records anymore. And Joe still cuts out. They get played. Yo, Kells, it's like every nine months on Clockwork, there's a new Kells record. Mm -hmm. He got some glasses on and he's using some new trope or he's making a soap opera that I'm watching on IFC. Man, that (laughs) motherfucker Kells, man, that goddamn pedophile, man, he be standing in the public eye, man. He be making that music. Yeah. Goddamn R. Kelly. You you can't escape him. It's just like right now, R&B is like, R&B music is in a state of disarray. And I'm not going to say real R&B or anything like that, but rhythm and blues is in a state of disarray. You know, Julian's pointed out on this show that hip hop is technically in its grunge era right now. And I believe them. I do. Hmm. I sincerely believe that because the, some of the stuff, like you, you have to really go look for music now. You truly have to look for it. Yeah, you know, radio ain't going to give it to you. Radio bought, you know, big, big companies bought up a bunch of black radio stations and just homogenized them and got rid of them. You know, so the quest to like find great music of color is harder than ever. Back And actually, you know what? This, this, takes, this takes it back to, to the Tribe Called Quest documentary. Questlove says, he said in the documentary that it was a specific date in 1993, like two of the greatest hip-hop albums ever dropped, and, and, and that hip-hop itself was never the same after these two albums dropped. Midnight Marauders and Wu-Tang Clan's Enter the 36 Chamber. Praise Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, other... Because he said that he's, that those were the t- like, that week was the end of the golden age of hip hop or something along those lines, doesn't he? But, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. I necessarily agree. I don't with agree with that, that yeah. statement, but but it is a fair point. If both of those albums dropped in the same week, boy, that was a good week for music buyers. Like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, you can't deny that Wu Tang into the 36 changed music forever. Oh, or changed oh, rap totally. music forever. Yeah, there's like, no doubt about that. It's so important, like that book I told, the Big Payback. Basically, that that book is like a thesis on basically how Wu Tang Clan changed the entire music industry business model. Cause RZA was so forward thinking. Oh, like, he was not shrewd. Only, he not only did he get their dope ass deal, and he was able to get every other member their own solo deal. He was able to freaking make that clothing shit. He was like, he took it to a whole new level that everyone else had to follow suit. Yes. 
Wow. Because think about yeah. it. When WooWare came out, dude, there's a song like we said, like, and once again, we talked about this, but the WooWare Renaissance. Okay. WooWare. You know, because of Wu Tang, every other rapper decided that not only were they a rapper, they had to have a clothing line. Okay? Come on, man. Go through the 90s to, to like the early 2000s. And, and like, man, everybody and their mama had a damn clothing line. And if they didn't, they affiliated <laughs> yeah. themselves with a clothing line to have a clothing line. Yep. Willie Esco up in here. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, quick sidebar. Into the Into the 36 and Midnight Marauders came out November 9th, 1993. Doggy Style came out two weeks later on yeah. November 23rd. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, I remember that. Because I think Snoop Dogg has this little internet show, and they did this, when he was talking about Manny Iron Fist, Rizzo was on it, and they were just basically talking about like, "Yo, next year I'll turn 20. and you know Snoop Dogg, you know he getting high or Snoop Lion, what the hell you want to call him? You know what I'm saying? He's like, "Yo, we should do a tour." He's like, "Yeah, we should." He's like, "You and y'all gonna do that album?" And then that's that's where I think that's when the great conversation started. Like, when is like the 20th anniversary freaking Wu Tang album gonna start? We're gonna be made, and hopefully, like yo, ninety three was so serious. I don't agree with Quest yeah. Love because I think technically ninety one, when the low end theory comes out, is when officially the nineties renaissance start. Okay, for to me, that's like there's the end of the there's the new school era ends like around when low end theory come out. Yeah, Chronic then, came out ninety one, didn't it? Yeah, no, it was ninety two because. I remember, yeah. we, I remember saying because Dre said I heard Low End Theory and then I made the Chronic, mm. okay. and um and then we get Midnight Marauders, we get we get uh f- we get into the Thirty Six Chambers and we get Doggy Style and then the next year is when fucking Bad Boy explode. Yeah, yep. yeah. Don't forget Illmatic in that as well. You know. Oh sh- oh yeah. Like, it, for, yeah. Like, for me, ninety two ninety three was the best the best year of hip. You look at the records that come out around that era, it's just absolutely crazy. Like real game changers. But as I said, I still don't think that was the end of the golden age of rap. I think there's a lot there was a lot more to come after that, man. Yeah, to me, I don't think it, it don't end to me till like ninety six. Or maybe you could put it right when Life After Death come out. And then it kind of everything changes. Yeah. Cause it's like, yo, yo, when Iron Man drop. Yo man, <laughs> yeah, I still, I still don't think Heads was ready for that album. I really don't. I don't think Heads was ready for it when he came out with that music video with the Speed Racer animation and basically the the Ghostface lyrics are over top of it. I don't know if Heads was ready for that. When I saw that, my mind was blown. I was like, this is the greatest shit ever. Yeah, that's and and Outkast with the uh, elevators music video with the kid reading the comic book and they going back to like the little alien pyramids. Mm-hmm. Yo, motherfuckers was ready for that shit. Yo, no, no. Hey, I remember I had an hour long conversation with my parents about how dope elevators was. <laughs> I've got a question to ask uh, specifically Julian and Sean. Well, you might know Tribe. Um, I've been looking for, trying to work out for years. Is it anyone specific who drew the AT Aliens cover? Like anyone who worked in Dre three thousand? I saw. I, I thought it was Andre himself. Oh, Andre himself drew it. I remember reading interviews of like he used to be into comic books and drawing, and he used to do all the covers mm. back in the day. Like at least the first two albums. Okay, okay. Because I always, I always used to look at. It, I think he's got no one who. It, it's a very nineties cover, both in terms oh, yeah. of hip hop and comic books, but. Um, I just couldn't ever like work out who it was, but that makes a lot of sense then if it was Andre. I could That's be a great wrong. album. 
But I remember that's what I was hearing in the interviews and reading. You know, back when everybody had to go read the magazines, everybody had to go read Double XL and Source and all that. I remember because he was big in art and had like like an art show. This is when he was still with Badu. He just had they just had the kid or whatever. Yeah, man, that was a shit. One day I like to build one hundred thousand three stacks about comic books. That'd be a great. That'd be a great day. Yo, when he comes out with another album or if Outcast together comes out with another album. We're going to see all that crazy hype for it like we get right now. Like we got with the Justin Timberlake shit because he took seven years off. Like we get right now with that Daft Punk buzz. Like like motherfuckers ain't yeah. heard shit from Daft Punk in so long. Motherfuckers ain't heard shit from fucking Outkast together if forever. Yeah. Well, you know, like, the, I think the greatest thing about AT Aliens, and I think it's it also like leaves a... Um, a cultural mark on society basically a combination of atl and, and and aliens you put them together at aliens it's like because hip-hop is hip-hop and r&b music has forever been interpreted by critics sometimes like this music is a commentary about feeling isolated from american culture and you know and, and i really like that's i think that's like one of the one of the biggest things i always got from at aliens it's like this feeling of isolation especially in the creation of like music whether it be especially like r&b and hip-hop especially for like the longest time that like the only way you could get on like a quote-unquote mainstream station is that you have I me mean, like you could be number one on the r&b and hip-hop chart but like if but like on the pop chart that might make you like number 175 and it's like and you and if you you can't get on a mainstream station unless you like at that time were like at least top 30. And by the time they caught on to you on the R&B side, you're already in your third single. But on the mainstream side, they finally heard your first single. It was like um, when my prerogative came out, R&B stations had that shit for days and months on lock. And then seven, eight months later, mainstream stations finally caught wind to it. And I'm like, what the fuck took you so long? You know, and they're playing that shit like it's brand new. And I'm just like, I'm looking at them sideways like Puff in 96. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, but hey, that, but that's the culture. Changed it. Puff changed it. Puff, yeah. and then like, it ain't really changed totally till 2004. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Beyonce. Yeah. Beyonce, Hove. Eminem says a lot because I'm still, he used to crack me up. I turned be at work people turn to the rock station the only rap you hear is beastie boys and eminem yep yep oh yeah and it's just like yo that's right this is like yo that's racist as shit but <laughs> i i do fucking love you lose yourself and i can't even be mad at any beastie boys track oh no like, oh no, no but no, it's no, just never. like it's like damn though but y'all showing y'all y'all showing y'all card but it's just <laughs> absolutely it's just like wow funny because it's, it's kind of like we can you know parlay this into that copyright criminals joint how sampling comes to a real big play yes it's a, like how shit cross over and like it took it took a while before everybody started catching on to it to now like you can't really even talk about samples because everyone samples yeah like there's samples in a kd perry record there's samples in a and maybe a taylor swift record john mayer like I don't even really fuck with him like that, but shit, he be fucking with what Quest Love or whatever. Mm-hmm. I know he probably got a sample somewhere on one of his goddamn albums. I know Jack White uses anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like now it's to the point where it's like sampling is just and now the EDM is gonna take over essentially. It took like ten years, but 
that shit is about to be the true sound for I bet you the next fifteen. Now, now can you break down what EDM means? Oh, that word makes me wanna. Well, yeah, but you know, you you know what it is, Taylor. I gotta, you know, I gotta use the names. It's kind of like you no, know, calling know, calling know. comic books, calling graphic novels. You know, comic books, graphic novels. Man, you know that shit came out in four, five, six issues, and they want to snap graphic novels on it. But you know, oh, it's no. just it's just dance it's so music. Broad. It's so broad. It's just dead. Well, it's, it's, so, it's all over. Electronic it's, it's all dance over music. Okay. Yeah, electronic dance music. You know, back in the nineties, it was electronica or techno. It's like all these genres are technically like different genres. Like house music is house music, and there's bunches of genres in house music. There's bunches of shit within electronic or techno or this that or trip hop, and then there's and now there's my shit. Thank you, Taylor Pillars, for goddamn trap. Love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but then, did you know what? I'm sorry, I, like, I know you love it, yeah, but it's not like ah, oh, just words. Words annoy me sometimes. Like these guys, and go. I'm sorry to go into this. Uh, just a little bit of backstory. Everyone's getting super hype about a lot of what people are calling trap music at the moment. But by the same token, a lot of people are also hating because they're like, oh, that's not trap music. Where's Young Jeezy? Where's T.I.? That's real trap music, whatever, right? These guys making what's called trap music nowadays, they did not coin that term themselves. It's just something so it can fit nicely in your iTunes genre folder. That's all it is. Like. Mm. It's not really trap. It's just I don't know, man. It comes out of garage, like from like I'm gonna sound really London here. Like you guys made house, we stole it off you, made it popular, <laughs> turned it into garage. Garage then turned into dubstep, which you then stole back off of us. <laughs> uh, then, you know now now you're yeah. doing your thing, and then we stole elements of hip hop, of specifically southern hip pop and that's where trap comes from but mm. by the same token sorry Judy, and yeah trap nah, is nah, the truth at the moment nah, I, I give you that because that to me i still call it trap because i can explain it it's just to me it's yeah. a dialogue between houston texas atlanta and like mississippi and all them with the people in london and maybe a couple cats in like brooklyn or whatever it's like if you listen to a lot of southern rap they was doing some crazy beats yeah. Back in like oh seven, hmm. like some shit that wasn't sounding like nothing else. Man, and before then, that, and, yeah, like it's been crazy since like since Outkast and like <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like since tear the club up. We were talking yeah. about that a couple of days ago, Julian. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Then, yeah. Triple six. So yeah. yeah, and it just it just back and forth, and it seems like the European people just added their stuff to it, and then just make it a little bit more dance like a little bit more danceable and then like the screw shit really yo the screw shit is taking over people like it's getting crazy <laughs> like like I just really hit like that poured up shit by Rihanna like I'm really sitting down studying that shit and then like fucking Beyonce came up with that track that's making people angry where she's basically she's not even singing on the song she's just doing like some Houston Texas shit and motherfuckers is getting mad because she's calling out Carrie Hilson and fucking whatchamacallit, the goddamn chick from Oakland who be dissing her and then her whole fucking Twitter followers throw CDs at him. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like you can't be mad for, for Beyonce. Is this her new jam? Yeah, bow down and fucking... The, yeah, the hit boy on, one. Yeah, it's like, yo, that's some Houston, Texas shit. Like, why are you getting mad because she's doing some Houston, Texas shit? Like, I've been listening to this shit for like 12, 13 years now. Like, <laughs> it's the same shit I used to hear on screw tapes. Like, yeah. 
motherfuckers wasn't on screw tapes in 2000. I was kind of hating on screw tapes back in 2000. Like, what the fuck is this shit? Then my brain hit, and I got smacked with 3-6 Mafia and fucking Project Pat, and everything is uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know that, like, that whole screwed and chopped and screwed era, you knew that stuff was, like, in the forefront back in, like, 2005 when you could hop on your phone and hop on the Verizon network and when you had when, when you could buy ringtones before people realized that they could make their own. And you look under genres, and they had available for sale Notorious B.I.G. chopped and screwed ringtones. Whoa. Yo, I got some Keith Sweat chopped and screwed. <laughs> I got I got Bootsy Collins chopped and screwed. I got some Whitney. I got some Mariah. People don't understand. Like, yo, my next game, my next tail ring game hustle was, was real nice back in 05. Like, yo, Nobody yo, has nice ever put those words together in that particular sequence. Never. Never like, ever. Yo. That is a first. Like, yo, it was chill back in the day. That but, is a first. But no, but not it sorry, go ahead, Julie. No, nah, I'm just saying, like, and that that goes to the sampling stuff too, because it's like they will sample something, they'll flip it, and then they'll and then it'll get hot and then somebody else will take it and then like like yo we gotta slow this shit down for when we on that motherfucking lean and then they just <laughs> and then it's slowed down and it's repositioned together like I haven't seen Spring Breakers yet but in that film oh I wanna see that so bad Harmony Chloride actually repeats parts of the movie he re he see he film scenes more than time so they'll do something then they'll do it again then they'll do it again and they'll go back I'm like hold up did he just chop and screw a movie I've been wanting this shit since 2004 <laughs> wait 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 what movie is this Spring Breakers Spring Breakers oh uh-huh. basically the Disney princesses going wild with fucking Gucci Franco and Gucci Mane yeah, yeah. it's insane it's kids 2013 and it's gonna okay. fucking break everyone's brain I have this feeling yeah because <laughs> like uh, ready for it. Uh, a bunch a bunch of the actresses that are in the movie are ex Disney employees like your Selena Gomez and stuff like that their Disney contracts are up so it's like it's time to go buck wild and, and the best thing of all is uh, James Franco going full method on his riffraff impression. <laughs> he, he's riffraff in the film, you know the MC riffraff. Like, yeah, oh yeah. I, 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 like he's he's quite niche over here because I don't know what he's like in America, but he's still seen as a bit of a joke over here. But he's James still seen as a joke yeah, over here too. I don't know if anyone takes him seriously. Yeah, okay, but like James Franco going though. full on. Oh, who riffraff? Yeah, and he's, he's uh, to listen to an interview of his. Uh, is he like I'm still unsure is he going like doing the um, Joaquin Phoenix I'm not there sort of thing or is he really that person man I I don't oh, even know man. I've only heard him on a couple of songs like on a, on a Kitty Pride record and a Lil Debbie record and then like a couple wait, wait, of wait there's a rapper named Lil Debbie yeah, she's uh, one of Krayshawn's crew. Yeah. Oh my god, I love these oh, white girl rappers. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not these too sure about best. Kitty Pride though. Yo, yo, real talk. Yo, Kitty Pride sounds exactly what you would think. Kitty Pride would sound like if she rapped. Yeah, like, yeah, she sounds like, like she's Tommy reading book, out of her diary. It's like, yo, if I was reading X Men and X Men and Claremont Burr X Men just started in 2011. She would probably be right in her little room when Professor X and Colossus came to pick her up and White Queen attacked. And this is what she would rap. And then she would get a dragon and she would be chilling with Ileana or telling stories about the brood and Christmas time. And it'll be raps. And that's what Kitty Power would rap like. Like, 
it's it's like the like I still don't understand why fucking Marvel to have it fucking scoop that shit up because it's like this shit is like the perfect combination of fiction and real life. It's like what Dazzle was supposed to be in like eighty. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, man, dude, they've dropped the ball on so much stuff when it comes to things like that, man. It's it's ridiculous. It's like they've had they've had at least five chances in pop music history to really make Dazzler the new gym. You, no, if, if, if not bigger no. than Jim, I mean, even bigger than like like in the vein of Lady Gaga. I mean, they've had so many opportunities to do something with Dazzler and have literally just slept on it. I hope they don't, because the longer they sleep, the longer it take. I can get my shot. <laughs> I'm telling you, motherfuckers, would think yeah. I'm the comic version of Puffy. I'm gonna be out there like you can't stop. You know, take that, take that one five. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm on the radio. Like, oh man, I'm all on the radio. I'm all on the video. Oh my God. Spinning around, shiny suit. You know what I'm saying? I'll slim down for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh man. Give me a Cassie and everything. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah, dude. I want to see that happen. Yes, so do I. <laughs> it, it, it has to happen now. You done talked about it. It has to happen. Let's get to this copyright criminals, um, copyright criminals documentary. We've we've mentioned it a little bit. Let's let's talk about it for a minute. It's like a 50, 50 something minute documentary. Um, it's available on Netflix streaming, and it's also available for sale um, at your various media outlets and and things like that. But um, I'll give the quick synopsis of what it is. Uh, copyright criminals examines the creative and commercial value of music sampling, including the related debates over artistic expression, copyright copyright law, and money. The film showcases many of hip hop's music founding hip hop music's founding figures like Public Enemy, De La Soul, and Digital Underground, as well as emerging artists such as audio visual remixers uh, Eclectic Method. It also provides first-person interviews with artists who have been sampled such as Clyde Stubblefield, uh, James James Brown's drummer, James Brown's drummer and the world's most sampled musician, and commentary by other highly sampled musician funk legend George Clinton. Um now, like I watched this documentary a few times and like I get heated. And I get heated for a few reasons. Like one, there's a dude on this documentary by the name of Steve Albini who is like just a hater towards sampling cuz he makes it sound like it's something so elementary that anybody can do it. And the fact that he makes it sound so elementary really pisses me off because sampling is something that can be so artistically intricate. Oh, absolutely. You can make something incredible with it. And and for him to just write it off, oh, dude, it just made me so mad. So mad. I was infuriated by that. I still think sometimes the work involved in sampling is practically a lot harder to do than actually playing the instruments because, like, you can learn how to play an instrument to a point where it's, like, effortless to actually play. Like, it never gets easy listening to something, cutting it up, and trying to make it into something else. And I think that's because sometimes musicians don't, they don't see things as the whole, like being an individual artist, like, yo, pop art is all about taking something else and turning it into something else and flipping it into someone's ear. Like, that's the entire 60s movie to find art. Like, 
Yeah. Like, yeah. yo, Andy Warhol, Roy Lichtenstein, all that. Like, that's what they did. It's like, yo, Brillo Pad Joe, I'm going to make that shit art. Yo, homeboy's going to take a urinal, paint a little something one put it. It's like, yo, it's art. You can't tell me it's not art. Mm. Like, Mm. Like basically, that's what sampling. What people don't understand, and I think that's because people really don't read a lot of shit sometimes too. Like, what hip hop did was create the first truly postmodern art form. Yeah, and people don't totally get like the aesthetics of postmodernity. Like, it's taking shit because it's like the idea that nothing is actually original. Everything comes with something else, so it's just taking that. And it was the first like sound form of that. There's so many things like yo the photography was taking a picture of something that existed and giving it to you in this new form. Artists hated the photography at the beginning. Now, how, we, we can't go anywhere without a picture being taken. Mm-hmm. It's still mm-hmm. considered art. Photography is one of the main parts of art. Like It's like the whole... People who hit on sampling literally is hating. Like They they only get it from, a, from I guess, a music point of view or something. Right. And it's just like, yeah, they do like they they use it in the film, like jazz. Like, yo, how many different versions can you can you listen to the my favorite things? Like, cause different jazz artists would fucking flip it in like completely different ways. Yeah, Thelonious Monk would play something completely different from like Charlie Parker or, or like, John Coltrane. Just go totally yeah. different. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's never the same song twice. It's never the same song. Yeah, and and and, and that's and that's what's incredible about it. I mean, I mean, you know, we are. And like, and this is talked about in the documentary, we are living in an era, we are in 2000, right now we're in 2013, and we're still abiding by copyright laws that were last updated in the 70s? How does yeah, that, a lot of it. Yeah, how does that, I mean, how does that work in today's era? How does that fit? It doesn't. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. fit. And and that's and that's a problem. Some I mean, of it was changing. My bad, but some of it was changed in 98, too. Like, people forget about the Sonny Bono Act before he died. Mm-hmm. He made some serious changes to the copyright law because he was a recording artist. He make, he got some things through. And like, talk about comics. He got a lot of things through for, like, say, Disney and Warner Brothers so they wouldn't lose Mickey Mouse and, and Superman. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. There's a lot of things. Where people, they, that was the one thing around with this, like, the last time I was shaving 76. Like, nah, they, the, the Sonny Bono Act added a lot of shit. I learned that from art school. They was like, yo... You need to know this because this affects you. So like, but yeah, except this is a lot, a lot of old. There's no reason why a cover should cost less than a sample. Think about think about the fact when you watch this documentary, you wouldn't be able to have um, probably the first couple of Public Enemy albums, uh, De La Soul's uh, first album, and, and especially Paul's Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique. None of those albums would exist nowadays. Would not exist under you know the with the way that sampling is watched over now. It's not exi- it, it, those albums would be non-existent. They would not be here today at all. Yeah. Well, hip hop as a genre would probably have been stifled a lot if it was the way the copyright laws are nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because well, the, the, the whole yeah. the whole genre have fallen out of a necessity, and well, obviously you go back right to the start. It goes to call Herc at the parties. He was using samples of the breakdowns on James Brown records to to get his parties going. Now, obviously, that's different to making a record, but that's how hip-hop was born. Everything was done out of necessity because all these producers, a lot of the time, could afford was a tatty old SP-1200. They couldn't afford all the instruments to make their own original compositions. So they took the SP-1200 and made their their new sounds out of their, a lot of the times, like their parents' vinyls and things like that. 
that's why a lot of James Brown, a lot of 60s, and even going back as the late 50s, a lot of these vinyls were used as a lot of formative hip-hop records. And I think that definitely wouldn't happen nowadays. Well, yeah. if you had the money, it would happen. Right. You know, just quickly segueing back to the tribe thing, there's a really interesting thing in the documentary where they say something along the lines of like Midnight Marauders didn't make any money for the artists because they were paying off all their sample clearance yeah 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 the, yeah, the sample is crazy the sample budget was as high as the production budget or something like that's that. crazy yeah that's insane it's weird because I think the, as I watched this this documentary for, at first I first saw it because it's part of Independent Lens on PBS when it first came out and I watched it then I watched it again now it's like four years later and it's like they paint, they paint Stubblefield as like a victim of hip hop, but he's not. He's a victim of James Brown because James Brown got paid for every time a person used Funky Drummer or any of them songs called Stubblefield drummed on. James Brown got a check. Did James Brown share that check with him? No, no, because you was part of my band. I paid you for the day because that's some old school music industry shit. Like the Motown cats that was recording all them records in the studio sessions and get a dime of all themselves. Barry Gordy was getting just like he never the drum Summerfield never got a dime for all the money James Brown made off the records originally. So why would like why are you paying the, the hip hop artists as bad guys when James Brown got his taste? Yeah. That's why I like when they had George Clinton on there, because George Clinton wasn't mad because at the time he was getting fucked over by the goddamn industry so much by the labels. They was like, yo, people wouldn't even, he could tour now because fucking Dr. Dre made G Funk. Right. I don't know, man. I, I think it's all, it's very open to interpretation and it all depends on how, how the sample is used, you know? If you're using the sample like the way, I don't know, like Primo does, Primo's the perfect. It's an obvious example for this. If he uses the sample the way that DJ Premier does, he actually changes the original record into something else entirely different. It's, it's so different. It's like night and day from the original recordings. Uh, do you pay the person who invented the guitar to use a guitar? That would be my argument in that scenario, mm -hmm. you know? He's yeah. using someone's record <laughs> as an instrument to make a whole new composition. Uh, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but if you're using it lazy and just ripping someone's break and just laying on top, hell, they should definitely get paid for it. They they should get money straight in their pocket. But I'm unsure, and that's why I always bring up Primo. Primo's a perfect example. For every sample he cleared, there's probably about eight samples he never had to clear because he chopped <laughs> them up so much yeah. that no one could find out what record it was. That's the way to use a sample, really, isn't it? And then you don't have to pay any money to anyone. <laughs> Yeah, at that point, it really is an instrument. Yes. Yeah, totally. You know, but then by the same token, there's a lot of people out there who I know what you're saying, Sean, about you know using a sample. Sometimes it's not as easy as it makes it out to be. But you know what? Sometimes it is as easy as looping the last four bars or the first four bars on a track and making a whole new beat out of it. That I think then you should pay through the nose for that. If it's recognisable, you should yeah. definitely pay for your sample. Mm -hmm. Pretty yeah, much so all of yeah. Bad Boy's biggest hits. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was probably part of the plan. That's just like when you just listen and hear about Puffy, he was just like, that shit was a that shit was calculated. It's like, yep. yo, oh, totally. these are the records that you know, and that's how I'm gonna get this shit to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. Is I'm gonna flip random ass 
whatever song, put a little fucking beat, and I'm just going to ride on it, and you're going to spit over it. We're going to pay that exuberant ass fucking sample clearance because I know how much money we're going to fucking make off this shit. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You've got a wrister underneath you. You can afford to do it. You know, when you've got a, a big record label who's willing to put hundreds of thousands of dollars into the production of your album you couldn't afford to do that you know definitely who would have thought that sampling the Isley Brothers between the sheets would be such a big deal and that I mean Big Papa to this day you hear that intro you lose your shit Okay. Now, like, you know, as far as like the the uh, what I like to call the ABCs of Puffy go, like you know, like the stuff that you know the Mace song where he sample, you know, when he sample Cool in the Gang, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and all that stuff. Yeah, you're right. Julian's absolutely right. You got familiar with it's like, oh, okay, I know this, but he done flipped. He's flipped it just a touch. Yeah. But you're right. He, you know, they made millions off of that. Yeah, absolute positive. Yeah. Like juicy, juicy is juicy. It's juicy fruit. Like yeah, yeah juicy fruit by Mature. I, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I knew that when I first heard it. Like my mom was like, "Really?" Like, <laughs> I was like but it was different because it's like, yeah, it's juicy fruit. But he, yo, he's talking about trying to feed his daughter, and now he got Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. But he's dead broke, man. He couldn't picture this. Like, that's all the shit I needed when I was 13, 14 years old. Like, that's the realest shit right there. Like, it's like, man, it's just like you sitting down having a conversation with your peers. Mm-hmm. With the music you used to grow up with. Yes. Which was a small part of what Puffy did. Right. I remember having to talk with my dad the first time I, like, my dad, me and my dad, we were in, we were in the car together and the radio was on and the, uh, the um, Junior Mafia Get Money remix came on and, and it sampled Dennis Edwards, <laughs> Don't Look Any Further. So when he heard that, he got all excited, and then he started hearing rappers started rapping. And he's like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> he was like, "He was like, how they gonna fuck up a Dennis Edwards song?" And like, so we got to like this real big, you know, conversation about about this. And like, you know, he 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 laughed about it, and, and he he kind of liked the song, but you know, he was like, "Still don't touch Dennis Edwards. That's a great song. You know, you you, you can't you know you can't do it." But we got into this really nice conversation about hip hop and how. And how sampling, once again, like you know, like Julian said, brings people together on certain things. We could talk about music. I mean, that led into like a one-hour conversation between me and my father about like the three or four, or five different eras of Temptations. Like Temptations have had more group changes than the Avengers. Okay, <laughs> and 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 heads don't heads don't even know. Okay, they don't even know. My dad was giving me a history on the Temptations. I was just like, I, I had no idea because you just hear the records, and sometimes they would find dudes that sound like previous members, so you don't really pay much attention to it. But he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, okay, Dennis Edwards left here, and then they brought in so-so here. And then this dude left here, and they replaced him with this dude here. And I was just like, wait a minute. And so then, like, I mean, which then led to us going back home and to have my father pull out the Temptations reunion album that Rick James produced uh, Standing on the Top for, and which is still a classic. This guy, I love that song. But literally, it was like every Temptation at that time in like the early 80s on one album together. They couldn't even get them all on the same damn screen for the video. That's how many <laughs> Temptations, you know, existed. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But that was a side note. Apologize. Got me. <laughs> you know, 
going on from that as well, you know. Um, Just adding to that, look, obviously these guys want to make their money as well, but the one thing you can definitely say that sampling in hip-hop's done is it's made a lot of artists culturally, culturally relevant in a day and age where their time in the sun was sometimes two or three decades ago. Absolutely. I went to a Leroy Hudson concert with my pops because some Leroy Hudson records were sampled, and that's how I first heard about him. And then, as you said, Sean, you know, like you speak to your parents and stuff, and they're like, yeah, this is this guy. And that's how I got into people like Curtis Mayfield and Leroy Hudson and going back to all the old cats that really, by rights, their time in the sun was been and gone you know but they were brought back and just adding on to the the bad boy thing um the, the one record that everyone forgets uh to, that everyone forgot to mention puffy made i'm coming out by diana ross a hit like, oh, yeah. i don't know what to say about oh, that yeah. Yeah, Gatsby yeah. holsters girls on shoulders do you know what i mean like yeah, on, i'm coming out that's how that's how oh yeah, yeah. Like, puffy money was living at the time yep. yeah yeah and I remember when I hit the radio. That, that has no that has no rights to be a gangster rap record ever, <laughs> ever. In anyone's lifetime. But when Biggie's talking about Gatsby holsters and all these sort of stuff, you shouldn't be talking about that over that Diana Ross record. Yeah. No way. That that record got some rappers so heated. I remember on Commons, uh, I think it was uh, the uh, it one day it'll make sense album the like the first or second song on there he intros he said i could have sampled diana ross years ago yeah and he was just trying to make a point where he's like you know this this isn't necessary you know this isn't necessary to hip-hop and i'm like yo song's a hit it's it's just a hit i'm like you can't be salty about that that was the first biggie hit in the uk you know it took Diana really? Ross. yeah it took diana ross to make notorious big a top 40 hit nothing nothing Ever hit the top forty in the UK? Wow! More money, more problems. He was dead by then too. I know yeah. that did exactly. Yeah, right he, he passed he away. That that helped as well. You yeah. know that he passed away, and um, I'll be missing you was number one in the UK for like twelve weeks. Because it has sting, right? Because it was. <laughs> yeah, that's why people, people don't know who Biggie is, but they can hear that sample and they're like, "Yeah, I'm buying that." You know, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And even going with the sampling of of Biggie's voice, I mean, like, yo. It's like that terrible Rita Rita Ora song. I shouldn't call it terrible because I don't. You know, I don't. I just don't care for it. When they um, they introduce Rita Ora, yeah, they, yeah, they introduce Rita Ora. It's terrible. Okay. It's fucking terrible, man. Sorry, okay. it's got to be said. Okay, cool. You know, they introduce <laughs> her by using Biggie lyrics from Party and Bullshit. <laughs> And it makes you want to throw up a little bit in your mouth, doesn't it? Yeah, man. Just a tiny bit. It, it's, like, it's horrible. You know, I'm it, sorry we put that on your country. I'm no, no. Sorry, we we put. You're, she is the the UK version of Rihanna. Like, like no, you look at so her fine, in the UK. She is fine, but so she's fine. not that fine. No, she's <laughs> not. not it is, son. She kind of that fine though. I let that shit all slide. I let all crappy tracks slide. <laughs> yeah, she I, is I, fine. So. She's not that fine. She's not Megan Good fine. She's not Rihanna fine. Yo, I would take I would take her over Megan Megan Good. Like real talk right now. Like that's her that whatever. She's Yugoslavian or whatever with a British accent. Yo, she be wearing the best clothes. I follow like I got like mad fuck yeah Rita Ora tumblers in my follow feed. <laughs> <laughs> yo, 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 yo. Her all is she day. Big out there then? I guess she oh, is. I she's guess not she that does. big. She's not that big out here. Like no. sure shit ain't pop like like Hov ain't P team her up with the right people yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, it's, <laughs> you it's, need to sit in a room with Timberland and be like, 
yo, make make this girl into something yeah. so she can sell some fucking units. Because that whole party and bullshit record did not fly over very well. Like it it had like a quick moment in the spotlight and they was just like, Yeah, we're done with this. You, you know, it's like there there is nothing on with that song that separates her from somebody like Kesha. Somebody else who I just Hardly. do do not do not enjoy, and it's oh man, I love Kesha. I, I can't deal. I can't I deal. Know. She needs a wash, man. She needs a wash. Like I can't. <laughs> even, even her music sounds like it needs a wash. You are absolutely correct. It just sounds grubby. Just a bit grubby. <laughs> I guess like I get salty with like artists like Kesha when I know there are talented like female rappers out there that will never see that will never see the light of day on a radio is station. Ke- is Kesha a rapper? I just thought she was a singer chick that kind of talks on the records. She's a she's a pop artist in yeah. my yeah. yeah. I wouldn't like, call it yeah, she's a pop Oh no. The thing, the thing that I like about Kesha is that she has absolutely no illusions about what she's doing. She's not aspiring to anything greater. <laughs> she's just doing what she does and you know you can go fuck yourself if you're not okay with it right i just i just can't deal i tried i really tried and i just can't <laughs> deal you know i you know i try i try to have an open ear i listen to a couple of records and it's like oh look she did a remix with andre 3000 well it's andre 3000 so i need to listen to that one but besides that i've tried everything else no <laughs> the one thing I will say about her, and I will give her a props for, you can kind of see like someone like Lady Gaga, when she clocks off at 5pm, or whenever pop stars clock off, she's, whatever her name is, Stephanie Jamata, she's just a normal chick, whereas Kesha is living that grubby lifestyle 24 hours a day, <laughs> 7 days a week. I fully believe it. I fully believe that she's greasy all day, every day. <laughs> That's uh, whereas, everyone else is just a role. She really is that. <laughs> well, I think that is amazing. That is amazing. amazing. <laughs> That's hilarious. The thing with Kesha, I think, is that like whoever gets her producers to produce her tracks, which is probably the same. It's like the same people produce like Katy Perry and all them. Yo, they make some crazy club pop records, right? It's like yeah. I hear them. And it's just like I really can't stand her. But that's a fucking fire track. Yeah. Like, I can see why that shit is bumping. I can see why freaking chicks are losing their minds to it, dancing to it. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's, Dude, it's first jeeps. time I heard Kesha, I wanted to hate it so bad. And I was just in the car. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. I've, fuck. I like this. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're like trying to resist the urge to enjoy it. I mean, we've all got those artists that we know categorically are bad but there's something about them that keeps us listening to them we've all got them everybody's oh, got one hip-hop's oh, yeah. full of them oh. music is full of <laughs> terrible artists that i love that i love with a burning passion but they're not actually real musicians mm-hmm. they're just guys talking over a beat like i know julian you might you might disagree with me here right for, I've got to say this first. Juicy J is one of my favorite, favorite MCs. I I think his ignorance knows no (laughs) bounds. It's so incredible, yeah? But he's not a musician. He's just a hustler who's rhyming over a beat. Yeah, he, got, like, he got an Oscar, though. He got an Oscar. He has got an Oscar. That is true. And you can add award winning Juicy J. You can't take anything away from Three Six Mafia because those dudes have been doing the same thing and being amazing at it for 20 years. 
Yeah, I remember reading an old uh, Source article, article where they were, before they signed to Loud, and they were like, we're not interested in signing to any record label because we're making hundreds of thousands of dollars selling CDs out of our boots. Just, yeah. in t- just in Memphis, we're making that money. So it's like, you know, you can't hate on those guys. Yeah, and look, the same can be said for so many other MCs that I absolutely adore, like Jeezy or Cameron or Jewels. None of these guys are ever coming close to a, like a Nas or a Biggie. That's so ignorant. <laughs> Two chains. Yeah. I love them. I just get. Um, I could listen Damn. to Juicy J every day, every day. Monday morning, <laughs> I'm going to work. I'm wearing my suit, doing the nine to five in my cubicle, and I'm listening to Juicy J, Blue Dream, and Lean, just to get hyped up to go to work in the morning. <laughs> just like, shut the fuck up! And you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Cody cups, Cody cups. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, uh, look, I love, I love guys like that, but there's no, they're terrible. Do you know? They, they're not. They're never going to be. Uh, credited with being look, maybe juicy j is an unfair one because i will say he's a super hot and underrated producer super hot producer um but none of these guys are ever going to be given poet laureates or nobel prizes for literature but they're entertaining and that's all you want sometimes and that's you know hip-hop's got to be about that sometimes you listen to stuff and bars are too serious and i'm like I'm not listening to you preach to me anymore. It's Monday morning. I'm cold. It's end of March. It's minus one degrees in the UK. I'm listening to some Danny Brown or something because I ain't going to listen to someone trying to tell me about how hard the struggle is because I'm walking in freezing cold weather at the moment. I want to hear. I want to hear about pimping and sipping out of cups and drug deals gone wrong and whatever Juicy J's up to this week. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Smoky Marlboro's because he's angry because he's just had to murder some Mexican in some dodgy deal. I want to hear that. That's what I want to hear. Sorry, that's my bit done. Sorry. (laughs) Yo, on a side note, right, lately, right, first of all, I'm mad that Juicy J make the hot, the hottest MCs list because he's hotter than Future. Oh, totally, totally. But, um... First of all, how come every time now Juicy J is on the track, the track changes and you start hearing the, yeah, ho, yeah, yeah ho. ho. <laughs> like, That's in his okay, contract. It's oh. like the Passion Pit record came on and he, because he's on the remix for that joint. And Which in is the beginning, bananas. it's bananas, but there's a, yeah, ho, on the Passion Pit record. So now <laughs> you got the pulled up remix and, uh, 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 with, with, with like Jeezy and Ross. And you get through Jeezy, he's like, yeah, that's Jeezy, yeah. You get his Jeezy, and you got Ross, you get the Maybach, Maybach music. And then you get to Jeezy come on, he's like, yeah, ho. That was like, that shit is not in the song. God, it's like he got theme music when he's on songs. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I want to hear him on like an Alabama record and just hear the, yeah, ho. Yeah, <laughs> Some ho. grassroots or something. Are you not? Jay. Something else as well. He's got, apart from maybe Jim Jones, he's got the best ad-libs in the rap game. His ad-libs are bananas. When you hear that, we trippy man even more than 2 chains. As soon as I hear that, we trippy man, I'm just like, yeah, I'm ready to listen to a 16 from Juicy J right now. (laughs) (laughs) Turned up. Oh, man, they get turned up. Like, oh, Ratchet. He's like the only dude that uses Ratchet. Do you know what? I've got my girl saying Ratchet nowadays. She's the nicest girl, most well-spoken English girl. Like, <laughs> she's she's Malaysian, but she's got the proper English accent. And we're walking down the street, and she sees a girl with her hair scraped back, and she's wearing them tight leopard skin leggings. And she looks at me, and she's like, 
she's a ratchet, isn't she? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's a ratchet. She's a ratchet. Well done. Yo, I, want, I want that recorded. I just want that recorded. Like, really, they just put that, just drop that on anything. She's a ratchet. Like, oh, oh. I just run around like a little kid with, like, candy or something. Like, I fucking love that shit, yo. Like, I heard that shit is all over the place here, man. I, yeah, man. Yo, these, these young black girls taught me, it's like, yo, I like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean with this ratchet? Like, I wrote that Ants comic about ratchet because I that's how I learned about ratchet. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Right, sorry, can I <laughs> just coming from like all I know of the definition of ratchet is what Juicy J told me, yeah, which it, for me, it's like a female waste man, yeah. It's like it's not, it's, it's not even like waste man. It's just like the ghettoish chicks. Like, like BT is like Ratchet Television. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, that's so. That's what Juicy J is basically saying, isn't it? Yeah, like yo, like you can say no to Ratchet Pussy, but Juicy J Juicy can't. J like, can. like, <laughs> like, yo, it's like sometimes you really like yo that hood rat be looking so right. It don't matter if she's gonna like flip out and fucking act a fool and might like fuck your shit up or fight a chick and slam her head to the concrete. It's like. I can't say no to that. <laughs> it don't matter. She got the crazy big earrings and the and this and the and the crazy like lashes on and and whatever whatever shit's popping in the in the hood. Like I, I, it's ratchet. It's she's not wearing. She's got the fucking fake ass Gucci bag. I fuck it. It's ratchet as fuck. I don't I don't care. Like that's that's what it is. Like sometimes you like the ratchet aesthetic. Like I just made that term up, people. <laughs> the ratchet yeah. aesthetic. Again, I'm... that is a particular sequence of words that have never been put together. <laughs> yes. I knew it was serious when seven months ago, LL dropped a single called Ratchet. See? See? Oh, See man. He's trying too hard. You know, yeah. He dropped LL a... has a history of trying too hard. You know, he dropped a single seven months ago just, just for the shit of it called, um, called Ratchet. <laughs> And I was just yeah, like, that's, "That's not right either." Yeah. I like talking smooth to the ladies. He ain't calling no girls a ratchet. The hell I know is talking about making sweet love to fine princesses <laughs> in the midnight. But but he calling no girl a ratchet, even if he thinks a girl's a ratchet. But, but see, he, I, I guess I guess even he's dealt with the ratchet too in his lifetime, he, so he yeah, had yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> that's that's true. You could say that the round away girl is ratchet. Yeah, yeah, but. It's still, yo, son, you on NCIS Los Angeles. Stop. Like, right. like there's going to be a moment in time I can't use the current slang anymore, even mm. though I don't know what it is. There's going to be a time I'll have to put it at rest. I'll have to put my belt up and sit down because, like, yo, I'll be looking crazy talking to some fucking 22-year-old person talking about whatever the hell word that is in, like, seven to eight years from now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It'd be like, yo, yeah. why are you saying that? Like, and I'll be right. It's like, yeah, I'm trying too hard. Yeah. My bad. Let me go back to my shit like like holla. Holla, that's my time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Yeah, going back, would you say that Bonita Rapplebum's a ratchet? Going no, back to the no, tribe. No, thing. no, no, no. Nah, she's, so she's a real woman, yeah? yeah. She's just talking about like he's talking about a beautiful, nice chick. That you might see at a cafe or a poetry thing or a nice little get together, and she got a sweet, sweet posterior. <laughs> okay, but she, I see, I always got from Benita Applebaum that she was a round the way girl. She, a she's little, a different the way girl, though. She's you know the I mean? books and shit. Like, that, that's fucked up. This shit's about to sound real fucked up right now. You know what I'm saying? She's, uh, she's from that ain't no man era. 
You know, yeah, she's on some fucking the Erica Badu chick. You know what I'm saying? Like, you watch Love Jones. You know what I'm saying? That's everything in Love Jones. That's a Benita Applebaum right there. Nia Long is a Benita Applebaum, you know. But, oh, yeah, yeah Friday is a perfect example. Nia Long, Benita Applebaum, and, and Craig's ex-girlfriend is a ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think I'm in my I'm sorry, guys. Look, you're teaching the people new things, so I can't be mad. There's no, there's no reason for me to be mad. Once again, Julian, you gave the disclaimer months ago. Sometimes we can't teach the kids about, talk to the kids about the Avengers and the adults about the comic books. Sometimes we got to, we have to pull it to this element because heads need to know. This is the most intricate and in-depth conversation on the term ratchet in the history of podcasting. Yo, and- I could go in on this for real. I could get y'all. I put some glasses on. I can sit in the class. And I can write on the word, you know, my theories on ratchetness. Like, my, my day is made if I'm in New York Comic Con and I see some geeky-ass white kid say ratchet. Or if Vince B comes up to me and uses ratchet in a sentence, my oh. everything is worth it. Everything Yo. is worth it. Julian, I want you to give a TED talk on the term ratchet. Yes. <laughs> you you yeah. broke it up. Your ratchet turned up and, and Jeezy ad libs. <laughs> just like half hour spent on yeah. 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 Like that what does that mean? What is that about people? Like, that, What's that no, you would see Julian. <laughs> you would see Julian in like a nice fly suit with a fifty fifty hat on and some fly kicks and walk up to the people and he have his lapel mic. And then, oh, that would be, that could be, like, you know what? That just needs to be done for prosperity's sake, period. It just needs to be done. <laughs> My TED Talks of how I, the, the ratchet aesthetic. Bomb, <laughs> <laughs> reconvene our uh, our hip hop our hip hop sessions at a later date um, we were going to come we'll come back sometime in the near future to talk about a uh, uh, article on complex about uh, the top 25 ANRs in their opinion um, and we'll also talk about some other stuff too but we'll get to that but we um before we go I'm going to go down the line and I will let these gentlemen know where they can find where you can find them on the Internet. So, Taylor, let the people know where they can find you. Uh, sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter as Taylor Pivers at Taylor Pivers um, once a week. Although since I've got a job, I've been slacking on my Mac in a little bit. But once a week, I write an article for the weekly crisis on trade paperback that more often than not aren't Marvel or DC because I'm a bit salty at them guys at the moment. <laughs> Um, and also go to cobratoes.tumblr.com. I've got pictures of all sorts of art and loads of records that I like listening to, mainly hip hop and some of that trap stuff. So, you know, go and feature there, man. All right, cool. Um, let's see here. Julian, let the people know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me at um, Julian Lytle, L Y T L E.com. 
uh, Julian Lytle at Twitter, where you hear me either talk about comics, getting arguments about comics, randomly talk about rap music, and randomly mash up comic books with rap music. And yeah, don't Facebook me because no disrespect if I don't know you. Like I'm probably not gonna friend you until like I met. Yeah, maybe I see you at a con, but yeah, don't still randomly friend request me on Facebook, man. I got like 800 people. Uh, man, I don't know unless you really, really cute. Maybe <laughs> just to be grimy, I'll friend you. But yeah, you know, and no right. If you, I don't know, I might be like Juicy J, you know. <laughs> but like, uh, ants.joinlato.com is my webcomic ants in which they're fighting the Black Illuminati right now. Um, oh, sorry to just jump in. Your last uh, issue was off the chain, the Kanye West one where they're having the fight. <laughs> <Yeah>. My days. <laughs> it was, uh, it's one of the best ones I've read so far. Sorry, go on, I digress. Sorry. Thanks, that, that feels good. Wait till I get to keep on going. It's like, it's real. If you're Shonen, it's like ants are fighting who people talk about is in the Black Illuminati. You know what I'm saying? Like Jay-Z, Kanye, Nicki Minaj, Beyonce, Drake. You know what I'm saying? Like all that all that craziness. Cause, you know, What's Kanye got on his head? Yo, he's been wearing his Sasquatch shit lately. The Sasquatch <laughs> face mask shit he performs in Europe. What? <laughs> Yo, he be coming out looking like a bootleg kaiju from fucking from Kamen Rider in like 1971, yo. <laughs> With like a, a leather skirt on, which he calls a kilt. But all my scouts tell me that ain't no kilt. It's a skirt. So it's a yeah, skirt it's and like some pants on, a hoodie, and like a Sasquatch mask. No bullshit. So I was like, I'm putting that shit in the comic. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's where you can find me. And you know what I'm saying? And you, you can find me through all those other ways. You see all the stuff I do. Instagram, Julian Lytle. You can holler me on there too. All right. And uh, Tribe One, uh, can you please let the people know where they can find you? Um, on, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Tribe One One O N E W O N. Um, if you're going to be in New Jersey, I'm performing for Rutgers Geek Week. Uh, if you're going to be in Ottawa, I'm going to be performing at Ottawa Comic Con. Um, and I'm also at tribe1.net. So that's it. Thanks for coming back on the show, and uh, we will get back together soon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, people. Thanks. And that concludes this week's Black Box. The Black Box is a member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at HHWLOD.com, where you can download previous episodes of this podcast, as well as Donnie Salvo's Tales from the Attic and John Carroll's The Carroll Chronicles. This podcast is also available on iTunes. The Black Box is also a member of the Comics Podcast Network. If you're on iTunes or the Forum for Geeks board, feel free to leave us a comment. You can also reach the podcast at blackboxpodcast1 at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next episode, dream big, hustle hard, and never stop. shit all right look gentlemen here's the deal um i promised the missus i would take her to the movies today and so uh, 
Wait, oh, she, she wants to, she either she's like she says she either wants to see Spring Breakers, Snitch, or uh, or like an, I can't remember the third movie, but she loves some Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So we'll probably end up seeing Snitch and then going to go Sorry, see. You. That thing looks terribly awesome. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's, the thing is, it, it's too in the middle. Like it wants to be a drama. Uh-huh. They try to set up like an action movie, uh-huh. and it's. It's nothing what you expect, and it's just in the middle. Mm. I wanted, I wanted to be Fast and the Furious, like without Vin Diesel. Yes, it's not. It's so not. It has freaking Omar from The Wire in it too. You'd be like, ooh, what? yeah. You got Benjamin Brad in there looking all Mexican. And <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, you'd be so excited. You got like Barry Pepper looking all extra gangster, like yeah. white boy cop. And you got Susan Sarandon. And you're like, yo, this shit sound like it could be amazing. And you're sitting in this. It's like, it never gets bad enough to be so bad it's good, mm-hmm. but it never gets good enough to be good. Mm. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, like I said, it's, it's her choice. It's her, it's her choice. So if that's if that's what she wants to see, that's what we shall see. I totally get it, and I can see how it could work between Wade's shoes and like how ratchet could just be used as a verb or anything else. Like I can really go down and break down some shit like grammatically, like ratchet, how to use it. Like that's the way I think about it. And like turned up when I heard that shit, I was like, Oh, that's just a perfect term for people being drunk. It's like that shit if that shit if faded, like oh my god, like faded for people being really fucked up and high and turned up when they really fucking acting crazy. Yeah. I love it. I love slang. And I love breaking that shit out around people who have no fucking idea. Yes. Like, oh my God. Oh no, I, I, I feel you, man. I, it's like learning something like I said, man. Like anytime we do these recordings, it's like, look, I might know a lot of stuff, but I always walk out learning one thing new, no matter how intelligent or ignorant it could be. I will walk out learning one new thing from each recording. Uh- no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. No matter how intelligent or ignorant it may be, I will learn it. I'll make sure. Even if it's the most ignorant thing I've ever heard in my life, I'm going to have that. A topical debate on going to a conversation about a Tribe Called Quest movie and then flipping into copyright infringement and then flipping and, and somehow finding a way to flip it into the term ratchet in Temptations Records. <laughs> nobody does that shit. Nobody. Nah, nobody's gonna fuck with Like, we actually talked about Wade for 15 whole minutes, at least, yeah. about ratchet. And I literally came over with some shit called the ratchet aesthetic. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like... <laughs> Like if I see that shit in any magazine, yo, I'm like, yo, I'm putting claims like y'all, you stole that shit from me, copyright infringement. I'm suing you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's incredible though. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. That's why I love these conversations. That's why I love talking to y'all about this. You know, I, I, you know, I would get bored if I was literally talking about a comic book or a movie every single episode. You know what I mean? Because it's just it's just like. I'm not that one thing and y'all not that one, you know, and y'all do more than yeah. one thing, you know what I'm saying? So it just, it makes it, 
it, it makes me enjoy doing this. It makes it worthwhile to me, and that's and that and that's why like I love doing it. I love talking to y'all about this stuff. Yeah. Likewise, but, man. That's why I, this this is my favorite conversation that I have with people. He sounds great on my Beats by Dre headphones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I read an article. Read an article about how uh, Monster Cable basically lost um, the the uh, Beats by Dre headphones to uh, Jimmy Iovine. And that uh, I got I got to find that article somewhere because like basically the people that run Monster Cable had no idea how to venture into something outside of their own business and when they did literally it got taken from them and they i mean they lost millions upon millions of dollars i mean millions upon millions and uh and dre and jimmy iovine are just like literally diving into uh money bins like scrooge mcduck over these yeah (laughs) yeah i've literally I've never heard of a brand of headphones before Beats by Dre. Like, I've never heard people talk about them on the street. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, the closest, I think, was sometimes the noise-canceling Sony joints. Because mm-hmm. it was Sony. And they weren't really, t- like, you know, Sony has its own name. Right. So, you know, you, you kind of feel like, oh, they got them them Sony noise-canceling joints over there. When Sony first came out with the joints that go behind your head, mm-hmm. you know, nobody yeah. like, called them yeah. out. But it was like... Oh, they got the joints go behind, it. especially when they made the collapsible joints that folded up. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh man! And then just like with the iPod, with the Walkman, yo, Sony fucked up and lost. Yeah. <laughs> they lost again, yo. Yeah. You know. Well, oh, go ahead, Alex. I was gonna say I remember there was hype for the Beats by Dre headphones. Like people were talking about them before they came out. Yeah, man. They I didn't even believe the hype till I got a pair. <laughs> I got a pair. Somebody gave them to me. And I put them things on. I was hearing stuff in like tracks I've been listening to for 20 years and I've never heard. I was like, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've I've heard they're serious. I mean, but but think about it. It started a new trend to now where there's so many people now that have their own headphone brands. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting a little bit too much. Like, Like, Dre has mad validity because of his work. And the fact is, like, we still ain't got detox yet. So this motherfucker must be protecting us upon a level. But, like, yo, I like you, Ludacris, but I ain't fucking with your headphones. Like, 50 Cent, you a great businessman, but yeah, I ain't fucking with your headphones. <laughs> See, I don't know, though. Now, like, with, with 50, though, you know, 50 puts in research with everything he does. So I bet you them, I bet you them headphones that, that he makes, now, it, won't, it probably won't be up to Beats quality, but it'll be pretty damn close. Oh, I know he's gonna make money because that's what I've learned from looking at Fifty Cent. He gonna get he gonna get that paper. Mm-hmm. But like the only headphones I even thought about looking at was like it was in RZA joints. I was like, "Ooh, it's RZA." Man. Yeah, I respect RZA. RZA be making he be making scores and shit. Now he's, yeah. you know what I'm saying? He, he knows kung fu. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever um, like? On, uh, there's a website that has the Man with the Iron Fists uh, deluxe soundtrack. And it's all MP3s, and it's all the song, all the tracks and score from the movie, plus a bunch of um, original songs. Like this, the songs that they sampled from are are also on that are, are also on this um, on this as well. It's incredible. I mean, huh. you could like put that in your playlist, and you would literally be playing music all day. It is it is just wonderful. It's like 
it's like a time machine of music and it, it's it's incredible i i, I need to uh, send y'all that link so y'all can, yeah. y'all can check that out but yeah it's, 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 it's a pretty good i mean it's, it's a nice price too all mp3s or whatever other format you want and it's yeah it's pretty incredible i, I it, is that on is that on their Bandcamp page because i think i remember seeing that it may be it, it may possibly be i'm not i'm not 100 sure but um it's worth it I, I i do know that for a fact my friend justin hit me hit me to it like a couple weeks before the movie came out and yeah it's dope the complex website for like the 25 best ARs. Mm-hmm. I need these websites to stop doing when you're doing lists. This whole click to see the next one, just, yeah. just scroll. Look, I know it's all about yeah. hits. I know it's all about getting them hits, so you get them ads in there. But I'm telling you something, the shit's annoying, and it makes my research hard. So you know what's funny though? It works really dope on the phone because you can just swipe. I don't know how they coded that joint exactly, but it's actually better to watch to read, to read them things on your phone than it is. Well, I think that's what they make it for. Well, you know what? That's what I'm about to do right now. I'm about to flip it to the phone mode. <laughs> you know, they yeah. give you flip. Um, yeah, they straight up give you like you just slide to the left or right, and it goes to the next joint. I think it's I'm annoying on a computer, but hey, man, complex. Like they, they, they somehow they staying alive. You know, I like the magazine and all, but that joint is getting thinner and thinner every every year. Thinner is, and thinner. Is it because they ain't got nothing left to talk about, or? Man, I don't know, man. They they haven't made that jump to make that joint digital or something like. Yeah, I don't know. no, I like Newsweek magazine no longer prints like a physical magazine. It's just print is dying. It, it can't sustain itself. There will always be a need for print. There will always be a need, but I think the problem is is that I think some people can't. Either a they took too long to adjust to the fact that technolo- technology mm-hmm. is changing so many things. They kept saying, "Well, if we, we can stick to these old methods, we'll be fine. Don't worry yeah. about the future; we'll be fine." And no one ever prepared for the future. Yeah. And now, so many people, so many businesses are paying the consequences of it because of that. Um, you know, without preparation, I mean, no matter how little or how much you do, because things can still go wrong. You know, things can still go wrong if you prepare for the future. You, you know, you might prepare and side with one technology that six months from now might be non-existent. You know, because yeah. like it's, it's like with Circuit City. Circuit City was like people don't want DVDs; they want Divix DVDs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, gotta get on that HD DVD, son. Oh come on, man! <laughs> don't hurt me like that. I had my see, I had my Xbox 360 with my HD DVD player on the side. <laughs> and I was like, you know, because I thought that both formats was going to be around. But then as soon as Walmart and the porn industry backed Blu-ray, it was over. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. over. <laughs> Toshiba was like, well, we tried. <laughs> Lunos. Yeah. 